Tonight is September 27th, 2017. The message this evening is called In the Middle, Benonim in Hebrew, Benonim. Uh, we're going to open up with our scripture of the day. Cass put it in the uh, push announcements, and it is Proverbs 16.6. Sorry for surprising you, sound booth. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. How is sin atoned for? Now, friends, that's Older Testament. That's Tanakh. Love and faithfulness is how sin is atoned for. As much as the Older Testament speaks of blood atonement, as much as you may think there are different systems, there are definitely not. Love and faithfulness is how you atone for sin. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. So then we see these things work together. We see love, faithfulness, and fear work together. I am scared to fall in sin. I don't want to. I don't want to disappoint my father. And because he loves me and is faithful to me, I want to love him and be faithful to him. Can you say amen in the house of God? Today during the daylight hours, it is the 27th of September and the 8th of Tishri on the Hebrew calendar. As we get into the evening hours, the Hebrew date advances before the Greco-Roman date does. This means that we've passed Rosh Hashanah, which was on the first of Tishri, and we're headed towards Yom Kippur, which occurs on Saturday, the 10th of Tishri. Did you all know Saturday was Yom Kippur? You do now. Simply put, we are in the middle of two great feasts. Somebody say middle. One of the biblical texts that outlines this, and it's where we're going to start tonight, is Leviticus 23. So get to Leviticus 23, 23, and say there when you are there. Brother, that was fast. All right, I'm going to wait on all of you. And I'm going to warn you up front, tonight is not going to be one of those nights where we go flat. We have this weird funk in the room. If I have to come sit with you and preach with you, then that's what we're going to do. I am determined to win. Do you want to win? I want to win. And I'm not going to give the devil the satisfaction of even one more portion of one service where we're in mully grubs. We're going to stomp all over him in victorious faith tonight. Somebody say, I want to win. In Leviticus 23, beginning in the 23rd verse, the Lord said to Moses... Say to the Israelites on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of rest, a sacred assembly with trumpet blast. One has to wonder how restful it will be if you're blowing trumpets all day. But you are certainly resting from your own labor and doing what the Lord told you to do. As we move to the 26th verse, the Lord said to Moses, the 10th day of the seventh month, is the Day of Atonement. We're going to talk an awful lot more about the Day of Atonement on Sunday. I want to give you a brief overview through these next few verses. And then we're going to move on to a theme. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves. Say, deny yourselves. Deny and present an offering made to the Lord by fire. Do no work on that day, because it is the Day of Atonement, when atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. Anyone who does not deny himself on that day must be cut off from his people. I will destroy from among his people anyone 
who does any work on that day. You shall not do work at all. Man, is that pretty clear. Couldn't be any more emphatic. This is to be a lasting ordinance for generations to come wherever you live. It is a Sabbath of rest for you, and you must deny yourselves. From the evening of the ninth day of the month until the following evening, you are to observe your Sabbath. Well, Rosh Hashanah is on the first day of Tishri, and Yom Kippur is on the tenth day of Tishri. The ten days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are often referred to in Hebrew as Aseret Yemi Teshuvah, the days of repentance. Let me show you a tradition from the Talmud concerning this time. Is that all right? Do you you already have it memorized? So who didn't answer when I said, is that all right? Because if you're indifferent, my goal is to not leave you in the middle tonight. Megan, did you answer when I asked? Yeah. Okay. Let's pick up in our next slide. This is a tractate from the Talmud called Rosh Hashanah. This is the first chapter. It is one rabbi speaking to another. Cruz Pedi said, In the name of Rabbi Yohanan, three books are open on New Year's Day. When we think of the holy faith, we tend to think of the book of life. The Talmud speaks of three books open on New Year's Day. One for the utterly wicked. One for the holy good. And one for the average class of people. The holy righteous are at once inscribed and life is decreed for them. The entirely wicked are at once inscribed and destruction, I'm sorry, yeah, destruction is destined for them. The average class are held in the balance from New Year's Day, that's Rosh Hashanah, till the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. If they prove themselves worthy, they are inscribed for life. If not, they are inscribed for destruction. That's a pretty interesting passage, isn't it? Suffice it to say, I don't believe everything in the Talmud is true. But that's unimportant. What's important at this moment is this concept, this thought that permeates the Jewish people. Considerable pressure upon the average Jew at this time. Because these ten days could push him one way or another. That's interesting, isn't it? What if ten days made all the difference for you? If I were going to ask an Orthodox Jew for a favor, I'd mark these ten days on my calendar. This might be the time he's most favorably disposed to grant whatever I was asking since God's got his eye on him on that day. What if there were ten days where God was taking a specially close look at your life because he was undecided in the other 354 days? like to picture this. Picture a book on the right called the book of life. You got it in your head? Now picture a book on the left called the book, the book of death. Do you have that in your head? Now why right and left? Because left always leads us the wrong way. Now picture a book in the middle for the average intermediate Garden variety, unexceptional, middle of the road, dime a dozen, undistinguished, lukewarm sinner. The Hebrews call that book Sefer Benonim. 
This is the book of the intermediate or the book of the middle. Which book do you think is the biggest? It's an interesting concept. If we were going to separate the righteous from the wicked, some would immediately go into the righteous category, some immediately into the wicked category, and then some we might have to look a little more carefully at. Huh? Which category would you be in? Yeah, that's right. On the divine scale, somewhere between awesomely righteous and sinfully sucky is the intermediate male in the book of the Benonim. Ten days of pressure. Every homeless person that asks you for a quarter, what are you going to do? But then you see him go buy beer with it. Now what do you do? Pressure. The whole thing reminds me of a place that I recently visited in Turkey with a team of exceptionally godly young men. Heropolis produced a cool mountain stream and Colossae had running springs of hot water that overflowed towards Laodicea. This is what Jesus said about the Benonim, the middle category. Let's go to Revelation 3 together. It'll be 314. Amen. Somebody's there. Where are the rest of you? Oh, dear God, saints. Wake up this evening. Come on, somebody yell Jesus' name in this house. Look at your neighbor and say, we're not going to drift tonight. Can you tell zeal for his house is consuming me? I am not willing for us to have more flat services. I don't want to be in the middle book. I don't like the middle ground. I want to win. In Revelation 3.14, To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were, one, you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. What does Jesus Christ say about the Benonim? They, it, it makes him want to puke. And yet, there's a push in our society at every turn to not be too far to the right, not be too far to the left, can we just be moderate? Some things ought to make you want to puke. Now, I'm not speaking about political factions tonight as much as I'm talking about our attitude towards righteousness. You can imagine that no Jewish child grows up and hopes to be recorded in the Sefer Benonim. It'd be similar to a real Christian wanting to be considered lukewarm by God. Anybody in here got born again and said, my highest aspiration is to make Jesus vomit? I didn't think so. These ten days in the middle of the two great feasts are a time to make sure that you're not in the middle somewhere. Isn't that interesting? Ten days between the new creation alarm clock and the salvation last bell. Ten days for you to examine your position. That would leave none on the fence, none ambiguous about where they stand, nobody androgynous in their orientation. 
spiritually speaking, of course. Everybody would have to pick a side. Because the king of the universe was watching. Can I tell you? He doesn't have a select 10 days that he's watching. He's watching us every day. The Psalms say he considers everything that we do. Sunday, I'm sure we'll talk a great deal about Yom Kippur. For tonight, I really want to focus on this agony of the middle ground for a moment. Is that okay? Let's consider the Jewish calendar. I have a slide for you on this one. What happens in Nisan every year? Passover. This is the first of, of the religious year. It was not the first month, but they got born again, so to speak, in the month of Nisan. And then came Ayar. Ayar gave us an anticipation for Pentecost in the month of Savan, or some people would call it Shavuot. In other words, from month to month, you're going from a salvation story to a theophany on the mountain. Can you imagine in two months' time getting to see God? How cool would that be? Would you be on cloud nine? Now, many of you don't know what happens in the month of Tammuz. But the month of Tammuz is a busy month for the Jewish people. See, in the month of Tammuz, you would notice as a Jew that this is the month that it said Moses broke the two tablets of stone. Because in the third month, he received them and he was on the mountain 40 days. So when he came down from the mountain and he saw the revelry that was going on, he broke them. The month of Tammuz every year is a time when the Jews consider that the tablets were broken. Of course, it's also the time that the king of Babylon came and broke through their city walls and captured Zedekiah. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 25. We're going to read verses 3 through 7 and then we'll come back to Tammuz. Spence is there. Spence is the only one on the left side of the room that is there. Where did that leave the rest of you? Abambola, you're going to let them do that to you? Are you there? Oh, there we go. Baby beard, you with me back there? Just because you're a salesman now doesn't mean that you got to get all sweet and pretty. In 2 Kings 25, verse 3. By the ninth day of the what month? Of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. Then the city wall was broken through, and the whole army fled at night through the gate between two walls near the king's garden, though the Babylonians were surrounding the city. They fled towards the Arabah, but the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered, and he was captured. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where, where sentence was pronounced on him. In Jeremiah 39, you don't have to turn to it, verse 2, it says this, And in the ninth day of the fourth month of Zedekiah's eleventh year, the city wall was broken through. Can you imagine you would go from the height of Passover in first fruits to the pinnacle of Pentecost. A nation covered under the blood of the Lamb, having marched through 
the Red Sea. Now at the mountain of God, seeing it on fire. And then the next month would become for you a time period that would ever commemorate that God had to bring a foreign monarch against your city and break down your walls. And of course, before that ever happened, it happens to be the same month that the law was first physically broken. How would you feel at that point? Are you excited and at the top of religious ecstasy? Or are you down in the dumps? Or are you somewhere in the middle? After Tammuz, you would come to Av. Put that calendar on the screen for me. When you come to Av, in Jewish history, this is supposed to be the month that the spies went into the land and brought back a bad report. You following how the history is going here? Is that a good day or a bad day? It cost your nation 40 years. Of course, that's not all that happened in the month of Av. 2 Kings 25, verse 8. Watch what else happened in Av. Are you in 25, verse 8? Yeah, there we go. On the seventh day of the fifth month, which month? In the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon... Uh, Nebuzardan, commander of the imperial guard and official of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building was burned down. Man, how would you feel every year at Av? Now, consider another couple facts from Av. The second temple in 70 A.D., was also burned down on the night of Av. In 1492, the Spanish did ugly things to the Jews on the night of Av. The night of Av is a really difficult time. Let's look at our Hebrew calendar again for a minute. You've gone from Passover in Nisan to in the month of Sivan, looking at Pentecost and excited. Of course, you also have to deal with the fact that Tammuz is here, and this is the month that the law was broken. And not just the month that the law was broken, but it's also the month that the city walls were breached. Then you get to Av, and it's the month that God's temple that bears His name was torn down not once, but twice. You feeling religious fervor? Are you feeling down in the dumps? Are you somewhere in the middle? It's an interesting dilemma, isn't it? By the time that Tishri came around in the seventh month, how confident would you be or not be? Do you see how that calendar produces a myriad of feelings in you? We don't have this in our holidays. You know, what is 4th of July? Is it the day we lost to the British or the day that we stomped on them? Why don't we celebrate the days we lost wars? See, we don't do this. In Jewish tradition... They fast on the days that bad things happen to them. They, they commemorate in history so that nobody forgets. We don't do this. We like to sweep our mistakes right under the rug and just keep going, but they don't do that. I'd like to share a few things with you from the month of Tibet. Is that okay? Is that okay? Yes. Amen. Look at 2 Kings 25 and verse 1. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, 
Which day of which month? Tenth day, tenth month. That's Tevet. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. He encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. Ezekiel puts it even more clearly. I'm going to show you Ezekiel 24, verses 1 through 2. Amen. One of you is there. Ezekiel 24, verses 1 through 2. In the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth day, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, record this date, this very date, because the king of Babylon has laid siege to Jerusalem this very day. Is the date ambiguous at all? Okay, let's, let's look at the slide of the Hebrew calendar again. I think I've made the point, and then we can talk about what we do with it. As you're looking at this, Tishri, the seventh month, is actually the head of the year. It's the beginning of the year. Did y'all hear us talk about that in other weeks? It's called New Year. When I say Rosh Hashanah, the response is Shana Tov, like good year. There's even a wish among Jews that is often expressed that is like, may he inscribe me in the good side of the book. You know, we're hoping for something good. So imagine that in the year 587, you've just gone through Yom Kippur and you're excited, I'm free. All vows broken have been washed away. All sin committed has been washed away. I'm free. You go through Cheshvan and Kislev and you've hit Tevet and somebody is outside your walls. Nebuchadnezzar is outside the city walls. Five months goes by. What would you be thinking about? Well, in the fifth month, you would be thinking about the bad report that the spies had given and the unfaithfulness of your nation. And of course, that would be the very month that Nebuchadnezzar would breach your city walls. You would have watched your city burn down in the month of Av. These four great fasting days have a way of making you feel in the middle, don't they? Yom Kippur was excellent. It was amazing because you were saved. Of course, Tevet is when you were surrounded. Tammuz is when your city walls broke down. And on Av is when your temple got burned to the ground. So how good are you feeling? You following me here? How many of your Christian walks look like this? How many of you have a victorious Sunday? Oh, man, you're gliding right through it on Monday night. But by Tuesday, life's getting pretty ugly again. Man, let's not even talk about Thursday. You were just hoping to squeeze on out the office on Friday and start again sometime the next week. Are any of you trapped in a cycle? Are you living somewhere in the agonizing middle? The Jewish nation did this year after year after year. And it's not because the Lord didn't love them. And it's not because they didn't love the Lord. Those are misnomers. Remember, it's through love and faithfulness that sin is atoned for. He loves them. He is faithful to them. He's keeping all of His promises to them. 
He allowed them to go through this cycle year after year for you. How important is it that you understand it then? How important is it that we learn what we can from it so that we can overcome it? I want to show you those Jewish fast days on the next slide. When you're thinking of Tammuz, to summarize them, in the month of Tammuz, which is the fourth, Moses broke the tablets of stone. The walls of the city were breached. In the month of Av, the fifth month, we had both the first and the second temple destroyed and many other European atrocities committed against Jews in the month of Av. By the seventh month, we have Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot and beautiful things. Of course, in the tenth month, Tevet, you're fasting again because it's the time that the siege of Jerusalem started. Do you see how you can get trapped in that cycle? I love Judaism. I love it so much that I'm going to extol the virtues of Yom Kippur this Sunday. I'm going to compare it to the crucifixion of Jesus. But it is inescapable that being in the middle of this cycle expressed by the calendar is agonizing, isn't it? Some of our spiritual lives are just as agonizing. On cloud nine for a week, somewhere below the gutter of the basement for the two weeks thereafter. Looking for fellowship a couple Sundays a month. Hiding from accountability a couple Sundays a month. I don't want to be in the middle. I want to win. Do you want to win? I want to win. Turn with me to Hebrews 10. I'm going to talk about how we win. Did y'all notice that the message on Sunday was just a little bit less than an hour? Anybody notice that? Tonight? Tonight is also going to be like that. I want to win. And if what you need are bite-sized pieces, I will feed you spiritual chicken McNuggets. I want to win. Now myself, I like to sit down for the whole porterhouse. But if you want to eat the halves one half at a time, that's okay. I'm going to make sure that you can listen on the way to work and on the way home and get through a message. Brother Zeke told me I've been preaching movies lately. I said, I beg your pardon? He said, those are three-hour messages, Pastor. I can be corrected. Are you all in Hebrews 10? Hebrews 10.1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the reality themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have cleansed themselves once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins." Do you understand the point? The very cycle that the calendar illustrates shows that we are really just repeating the same things over and over and they're not wrong. But who wants to live like that? You should long for a fuller and better way. Please don't think that's a Jewish problem. I'm convinced there are people in here that are living in the exact same cycle But those sacrifices are an annual 
reminder of sins. Because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. We needed something more. Do you need something more tonight? Not more than has been offered. More than has been received. Because can I tell you that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever? And men like David, men like Hosea, amazing, mighty men in the faith, they received the purity of the Spirit that we are receiving now. But then and now, many more stood and just went through the cycle. They were somewhere in the middle. I don't want to be in the book of the average. I don't want to be in what one scholar called the book of the intermediate. Oh man, I want to be in the blazing book of the saints. How about you? Every year to come to the Aseret Yemei Teshuvah, the 10 days of repentance. Well, it's essential to come to it, but it's a heartbreaking because it's cyclical. You're stuck in the Benonim middle, hoping to move the balance of the scales. You're waiting for something to push you towards righteousness tonight. Are you stuck, high-centered on something, never able to quite get over it tonight? Turn with me to Hebrews 7. Say, there when you're in 723. <laughs> get it, girl. I'm there in the red letters. Now, Hebrews 7.23. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, He is able to save completely. To save how? Completely. To save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. Oh man, we don't have to wait for a certain date on a calendar for atonement. The one who atones for our sins will actually set up his spirit inside of you. We don't have to wait. Oh man, what's wrong with y'all? Is Chris the only one? Chris is one happy Filipino tonight. Where are the rest of you? You don't have to wait. Can you imagine that you're in the eighth month and you've already screwed the pooch? For the next year, you're stuck. What do you do? Well, I'm in the book of the intermediate. Maybe when those special 10 days come, I can move the scale. But what do you do now? Oh, well, it's more fasting. We get to celebrate again. The time Nebuchadnezzar came in, just kicked us all around. Can you imagine having to wait? Can you imagine going to Yom Kippur? And you were so excited. Your vendetta with Charlie's gone. Uh, JJ's come to your house and forgiven you. Even your mean old mother-in-law's got nice for a few days because she wants to get on the right side of the book. You're so happy. All feels right with the world. Then two weeks later, you've screwed it up again. Like, oh well. Let's see, we've got to count the months. Can you imagine how hard that must have been? I'm simplifying it, and I know that. And if I have Orthodox brothers listening, you just have to bear with me patiently. We have never known what it was like 
to not have ever-present help in times of trouble. You have never known what it was like to not be able to turn your face towards the Lord and His Spirit rush into you to help you. Do you take that for granted then? Is your cycle because you've been told to wait or because you have chosen to wait? See, I don't like the middle ground. I think the middle ground is largely an excuse for the conquest of cowards. I'm not really this way or that way. I'm kind of in the middle. My sons and I have been playing a game in the world's airports, been trying to guess. Well, I'll tell you about that another day. <laughs> Thought we had a long-lasting debate settled, standing outside the restrooms, but now that doesn't even tell you. Verse 26. Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. What good news is that, saints? Can you imagine standing in the middle of ten days going, Well, if my neighbor asks me to cut the grass and I say no, is that going to push me towards the wicked? My teenager asked to borrow the car to go to the store. Which direction will that push me on the scale? I get favor points with the teenager and the neighbor's dog that got run over sends me to hell. Can you imagine the difficulty? I don't want to live in the middle ground. Turn with me to Hebrews 9. Now that you're in Hebrews 9, look at verse 12. He did not enter by means of blood and goats and calves. But he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Man, have you heard these words so much that they don't make an impact on you anymore? Year after year, goats were killed. Actually, one was killed and one was let go. We'll talk about that more Sunday. But year after year, that brought a sense of relief. Year after year, that lets you know my sin is covered at least temporarily. All is right with the world. I just have to try to walk in faith. And then Jesus Christ appears. And it's not the blood of bulls or goats. It's His own perfect life. One that never ends. That stands as testimony for you that you don't have to be trapped in the middle ground anymore. You don't have to wait until the right day rolls around on a calendar anymore. You don't have to wait to repent. You don't have to wait to get it right. Right now, atonement is available to you. Oh, Jesus. How sweet that is. Look at Hebrews 9.26 while you're already in the ninth chapter. But now he has appeared once for all 
at the end of the ages to do away with to do away with Jesus Christ is supposed to be the end of sin in our lives so that you're not living out a strange calendar experience anymore. He is the key to victory. His love, His faithfulness, and the fear of God that He inspires in you atones for sin in your life when you trust Him. He's supposed to be the end of sin by the sacrifice of Himself. You see, dear Christian, something's been revealed to us. Something so victorious, so monumentally magnificent, so spiritually sublime. How can we not praise Him for what He's done? He has freed us from the calendar cycle. It is not God's will for us to be caught in cyclical sin. Stuck in spiritual sickness, mired somewhere down in the middle. It is His will for you to be victorious and free. Oh man, the first time you entered His presence, was it like, Amen. Live long and prosper. Cool, Lord. What was it? The first time I entered His presence, and His presence entered me, I couldn't contain the joy that I felt. My eyes were leaking inexplicably for the first time in my life. I felt as if warm rushing water was being poured all over me. Somewhere between that and electricity. Like like I was in front of a thousand speakers at a rock concert and the Word of God was permeating my soul. Has that feeling faded for you and now you're caught Somewhere in the middle. Oh, saint, you're supposed to be in Christ. Not halfway in Christ. Not a little to the left of Christ. Not not somewhere in the middle just short of Christ. You are in the fullness of Christ tonight. His accomplishments are credited to those who trust in Him. Turn with me to Titus. In Titus, the third chapter. Look at verse 4. And see if you can read these words without being stirred in your spirit again. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. Imagine that as if you had been waiting on it for a very long time. Imagine that as if you had been grieving over your broken down walls. Grieving over the broken law. Grieving over your broken faith. Grieving over a burned temple. Imagine as if you were on the wrong side of God grieving. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done. But because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth. Somebody say rebirth. And renewal by His Holy Spirit. Think on the word renewal. Maybe tonight you don't feel the thousand 
rock concert speakers permeating your soul. You don't feel the warm rushing water or the electricity on you, but he is able to renew it again. You don't have to wait for a special spot on a special day. Tonight he can revive your passion again. We do not have to live lowly. We don't have to back up, shut up, or let up. We can stand in the renewal of the Holy Spirit tonight if we choose to. And the choice is ours. Oh, saint, what will you choose? He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Oh, man, the generosity of God. He loved you enough to free you from the cycle of sin. He loved you enough to let you go worshiping Gentiles, find something that has still eluded his people. Understand this. Those that have been crying over the Torah, those who literally have had their flesh torn from their bodies because they will not conform to the nations of the world. They have not found the freedom that you bask in. Oh, saints, that ought to cause your tears of joy to be mixed with tears of sorrow for them, ought it not? Turn with me to Zechariah 8. When you get to Zechariah 8, put your finger on the 14th verse. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Just as I had determined to bring disaster upon you and showed no pity when your fathers angered me, says the Lord Almighty, so now I have determined to do good again to Jerusalem and Judah. Do not be afraid. These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other. And render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against your neighbor. And do not love to swear falsely. I hate this, declares the Lord. Again, the word of the the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The fast of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love truth and peace. Love truth and peace. He promised to free the entire nation from the middle ground. He promised to move the whole nation out of the Benonim and straight into the righteous. He promised to take the whole nation off of the spiritual Prozac and straight into something that was enlivening. Saints, they're supposed to see you and want what you have. Do you see why it makes the king of the Jews want to vomit when you stand on the middle ground? There ought to be no middle ground for a Christian to stand on. We've cast our lot in with Christ. We're supposed to have already lost our lives. There is no middle ground. How can you halfway when you've already given your life? 
Friends, unless you have been watching Princess Bride, there's no such thing as mostly dead. There's no such thing as partially dead. You're either fully in Christ or you're not in Christ at all. I want to invite you tonight to let the renewal of the Holy Ghost renew your passion. Do you hear what the prophet is saying? He says, become joyful and glad occasions. The God that we serve can take your worst defeats commemorated through fasting over thousands of years and make your worst defeats joyful and glad occasions. Do you trust Him like that? Do you believe Him like that? Or are you convinced that you're on the middle ground because He left you there? You're on the middle ground because He did not do for you what you thought He should do. You're on the middle ground because He let you down. Maybe that's how Israel feels. But those of us that believe this book believe that what looks like abandonment is actually just delay so that they might all come in on the same day and at the same time. What if the Lord never abandoned you to the middle ground? He wanted you to stand in reality on the middle ground and in faith on the far right full of fervent passionate desire. Saints, have you let your circumstances determine where you stand? Because your faith was supposed to push you beyond that. Joyful, glad occasions. Festivals that are happy. Man, that can only happen in Christ. And it will happen for Israel in Christ. God's Word promises it. Everything that God's Word says will happen for Israel. Do you believe that? How can you believe that if you don't believe it for you? Get off the middle ground. If you don't believe Him, then just stand up stone cold. If you do believe Him, it's time to fan that faith into a furious flame. There is no middle ground in the faith. You can't say you believe it for them if you don't believe it for you. I'm convinced that height or depth cannot separate me from His love for me. If a thousand fall away, I'm not going with them. I want to win. What are you waiting on, saints? Oh, pastor, I just haven't seen it come about. Good thing that you don't walk by sight. You walk by faith. How about you begin celebrating just like you had seen it? Ask yourself something, saint. If whatever you're waiting for happened this second, if it suddenly fell from the heavens, what would your disposition and attitude be? Think on it for a second. If the baby that you want landed in your lap now, what would your attitude be? If the spouse that you want landed right now beside you, what would your attitude be? If the fullness of your calling came now, what would your attitude be? Whatever that is, is what you should be now while you wait. And if you are not that now while you wait, you would not be that when it came. Oh, get off the middle ground, saint. We're called to the higher ground. You're not going to catch 
Eric Stevens hanging out with the Benonim. If it is, it's to give them a Romanian encouraging step forward. I want to tell you that what God says to Israel is true. Also in Zechariah 8, pick up with me in the 20th verse. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, Let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord and to entreat Him. This is what the Lord Almighty says in those days. Ten men from all languages and nations will take hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, Let us go with you, because we have heard that God is with you. Oh, saints, for that to happen, you're going to have to get off the middle ground. For that to happen, you're going to have to be passionate, fervent, far-right, hard Christians. There's got to be. How will Israel see and believe that you have fullness in Christ if we're occupying the middle ground of cyclical sin? But when we get right, a revival begins to happen in that nation and the whole world notices it. And people say, wait... I don't have to go to a special place on a special day at a special time. I don't have to wait. Right now I can go to be with the Lord. Right now He'll set up His presence in me. Right now I can be on fire for Him. And the world cannot contain them. It literally produces the resurrection of the dead. So then we come to the point... We cannot participate in the resurrection of the dead then if you cannot even resurrect your middle ground now. Do you need the wind of the Spirit to blow upon your dream? Do you need the life renewal of the Holy Ghost to come upon you tonight? Because we ought to be hot or cold. We cannot be in the middle. We want to do two things before we close. The first... We're going to have to be full of joy and confidence because we're in Christ. If indeed you are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, then you should be dwelling in fear. You should be waiting for God Almighty to strike you dead at any moment because it's what you deserve. But those of you that are in Christ, man, how different should you be than the category I just mentioned? Do you believe that's true? If you're sitting next to a damned sinner in the house of God tonight, you ought to be able to tell the difference between the two of you because the sinner is sweating with an expectation of fiery judgment to burn his very soul. And what ought to be welling up inside your spirit is the Holy Ghost saying, I am renewed. There needs to be that kind of contrast. And if there's not that kind of contrast, it's not just because the sinner doesn't understand his position, it's because the saint has forgotten his. Turn with me to Jude 24.
I told you that the first thing that we were going to do tonight is be full of joy and confidence. The second thing we will do before this is over, and we're right at the end. So we're going to pray for the Jewish nation to experience what is by all rights theirs. You have stumbled in as a lottery winner to something that you don't deserve. And because it's been given to us so freely and so easily, we've not valued it as highly as we should. But if every day of your life you went through the calendar cycle we were talking about, oh my God, when you entered into the fullness of Christ, you would never look back. You would see yourself as the most blessed people on the earth. There wouldn't be a victim in this room. There wouldn't be one mully grubbing, smile dragon Christian in here. What we would have are people that could not have their fire put out. You know, there's one thing you need to weep and wail over. It's your own unfaithfulness. But after you've done that, what ought to fill your heart is the faithfulness of God. He's not going to let any person in this room down. Do you hear me? There's a few of you in here that have stumbled in ways that you think may be beyond recovery. You're not beyond God. The hand of Jesus Christ can reach you even tonight. Some of you just haven't been thinking soberly about your life. Somehow or another, you've been busied with the cares and worries of this world. Take stock tonight in the ten days of repentance. Take stock tonight of your high position in Christ Jesus. Take stock tonight of exactly what has been offered you and what you have received so that we don't catch princes and princesses dumpster diving. You are better than that. The Holy Ghost is calling everybody in this room to high ground tonight. Are you in Jude 24? To Him who is able. Come on. To Him who is able. To Him who is able. To keep you from falling. You can't keep you from falling. But He can keep you from falling. The grace of God that has appeared that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. He can keep you from falling. I can't keep me from falling, but He can keep me from falling. I wake up, I'm not... Returning to the errors of Calvin, I'm talking about the true grace of God. If you have received the power of God, that power of God called grace can keep you from falling. Oh, man. Think on that for a minute. How many times have you promised to not come through? How many times have you said, Lord, I'll never again, but you did again? The grace of God can enter you in a way tonight that breaks the cycle, that moves you off of middle ground, that forever keeps you from falling. To Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Without what? One thing I learned, I've been married 24 years. It's my fault. I can be quite the lawyer. I can make everything her fault. It's even easier to make it the kid's fault. I don't even allow them to talk back. 
We spend so much time trying to figure out where to put fault. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why was this man born blind? His fault or his parents' fault? Where does the fault go? Present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. You know, when you quit worrying about whose fault it is, when, when you just say, it's my fault, Lord, will you take it from me? He said, yeah, I died for that. I died for, I used my life to purchase what is your fault. If you could let that go tonight, you know what you would have? Great joy. You know you don't have to hang on to whose fault it is. You don't have to understand why it happened. You don't have to understand why it's not happening. If you could let go of fault tonight, you'd get off the middle ground and you'd be in an area called great joy. You know, I have scoured this Bible. I have found more than 300 promises of joy in the Bible. I have never found a promise of moderate joy, middle ground joy, the kind of joy that could be considered lukewarm. Never. What I have found is a renewal, a rejoicing. Hear that word? A leaping and spinning of hilarious faith. What I have found is great joy. Oh man, is something holding your joy hostage tonight? If you're in Christ, nothing should be able to hold your joy. Do you remember how the message was first announced? It came to men through angels. We bring you a message of good news and great joy. If you let go of the fault, if you give it to Jesus tonight, you will have great joy. That joy becomes a strength that the spirit of the world cannot put out. Amen. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Come on to my preterist friends. Now and forevermore. Now and forevermore. You don't have to wait. We don't have to be in the millennium to have great joy. You don't have to be resurrected to have great joy. You can have it now if you will let go of the fault. Amen. Romans 15, 13. Second to last scripture. May the God of hope fill you with a moderate level of joy. May the God of all hope... Now, now I'm making it up. Hold on. We're going to get this thing right. <clears throat> May the God of hope fill you with all joy. How much joy? All. And peace as you trust in Him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that sound like somebody on the middle ground going, Oh Lord, what do I have to do to be pushed one way or the other? Man, I don't have to be pushed in any direction. The Holy Ghost in me is pushing others. Come on now. You ought to be, as Pastor Hutchinson said, a catalyst of fire. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you 
See, when you're worried about fault, it's because you're not trusting Him. When you're clinging to why things happen, it's because you don't trust that it's going to work out. And you want to make sure that you know who to blame when it doesn't. That's not faith. Faith has all joy. And it trusts in Him so that you may overflow. Oh, man. Neighbors, tell me the truth. Do you expect the person on your left and right to overflow? Did you come in here tonight and carefully pick who you were going to sit by because you thought something was going to overflow from them onto you? Usually, when we think in terms of overflow, it's something that you don't want to get on you. <laughs> and I'm going to admit, I have often chosen my conversation, even in this room, based on what I did not want to get on me. But if the source of eternal salvation has set up residence inside of you, you know what we ought to be overflowing in? Joy and hope. To get to meet with a Christian during the day, my God, saint, to get to meet somebody who has the power of God in them, what a life-saving event. I was in a chemical plant. I am going to close. I was in a chemical plant years ago. And I heard a guy speaking about Jesus. And I had been picked on mercilessly. I was just as bold then as I am now, but a whole lot less smart. A little bit less refined. I've been challenging everybody in the plant. And I heard this guy mention something about Jesus. I was so excited. I said, hey man. You're a Christian? I did not like his response. He said, well, I'm a, you know, I, I, I'm a part of a group. You're part of a group. When did you fall in love with Jesus? Well, we, we go to a lot of meetings. I said, oh, God, you're a Mormon, aren't you? He said, no, no, I am definitely not one of those. I was like, I thought you were in a cult. He goes, well, actually, I go to the kingdom hall. I said, oh, come on, man. I thought I had found a real Christian on the workplace and it was water to my soul, except he wasn't. Saints, what is sitting all around you ought to overflow in hope. I'm not grieving over any that walk out the door when there are so many that sit here. I'm intent that right now you can help each other overflow. You just have to decide to. Our last scripture for the evening. Are you ready? ready? Romans 15, 25. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. They what? For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. Tonight, I'm saying that you have a debt. You have a debt to the people that have been in that calendar cycle, somewhere stuck in the middle ground, waiting on Messiah. 
Because somehow or another, they who were destined to receive him missed his work. And you who were not looking for him at all have not only received him, but have in fact taken him for granted. Let that settle in for a minute, saints. If you let the renewal of the Holy Ghost light that flame of fire in you again tonight, it will overflow to the people around you. We will be a blazing torch of our God and the world will take notice that no amount of persecution, no amount of hardship, no amount of spiritual warfare, no amount of delayed promise will hold us back from overflowing with the supernatural faith that our God has given us. And they too will begin to realize they don't have to wait anymore. Would you stand to your feet?